Welcome back to Bike Race Weekly. My name is Ryan Gerard, and I'm here with my co-host Rick Grunwald. Rick, say hello. Hey, everybody. All right, so this week we have a pretty cool guest. Very special guest. We were able to get Iman Lucas on the podcast with us. Yeah, so we were super excited to sit down and talk with Iman. If you don't know who he is, Iman Lucas is a professional rider on the Dutch Pro Continental um, Rotterdam Delta cycling team, Yes, I believe. And not only that, that is like the best team there. Yeah. They're so, one of the best like continental teams in Europe. Yeah, it's one of the best teams. They're they're doing some really high level racing, UCI 1.2s, 2.2s. So they're mixing it up with some of the best teams in the Netherlands. Not only that, they're mixing it up with some of the World Tour teams as well. And not only that, Iman Lucas himself was one of the best crit racers to ever come out of the US. Yeah, that's actually how he really uh how he kind of came on the scene and also to uh kind of how he came on our radar so uh he would always come to some of the local crits that we're uh following like the tour of america's Dairyland. he'd do a lot of the usa crits um he'd do you know some of the intelligentsia cup all the while with the estella cycling squad and he was always somebody that rode with a ton of style with a ton of uh uh, attitude, and then he always was taking home the wins too. So that's really kind of how he popped up on our radar. Yeah, the year he was on uh, Estellas, they they dominated the crit scene. I mean, Justin Williams, Ryan Aitchison, Iman Lucas, Brand, uh, Brandon Fury. Brandon Fury. Yeah, they were they were like the the crit team that year. I mean, they took home some serious wins. The Estellas team had been running for five years, but we're talking mostly about 2016 when they they won Athens Twilight. Uh, they won multiple stages of the Tour of America's Dairyland. They won the overall, didn't they? I believe they won the overall, too. Yeah, so, I mean, they had countless wins on the crit calendar. Um, yeah, definitely the the crit powerhouse of that year. And not only that, they actually went over to uh, China and picked up a UCI win at uh, the yeah. end of the season. And that was Iman Lucas who took that win. It is, yeah. Uh, so we talked a little bit about that, too. Yeah, um, and then after that, the very next season, he actually went on to start his own crit team crit life crit life and if you have been following any of the uh usa crit series in 2017 it was the team with the crazy colored it was like you've blue, seen pink, you've definitely seen their like special uh paint special bikes it was kind of they they sold them people wanted them they're they're crazy you see them all over the place yeah it was it was a big uh, a big specialized uh backed team and it was kind of cool because it was almost like uh, partially connected with the specialized Red Hook racing team, mm-hmm. uh, specialized Rocket Espresso, which Iman is also racing. So not only is he doing the uh, um, the international pro stuff in Holland with his uh, pro team, but he's also doing the Red Hook stuff, the fixed gear crits, kind of mixing it all together and you know having a lot of success in a bunch of different avenues. Yeah. So, uh, Rick, what are we talking about with him? Yeah, so we talked about a variety of topics with Iman. We kind of got into, um, you know, how he started with racing, his background on the U.S. scene, and then what it was like to move over to the European scene. We kind of dig into a little bit of the difference between the European racing, the U.S. racing, and then we kind of roll into, uh, you know, a variety of different topics, uh, you know, like uh, why he likes racing in Europe so much now. He and talks a bit about just work ethic. You know, he used to yeah. live with Nikki Terpstra and Levi Lightheimer. No, actually, no. it was he lives with Lawrence Tenstam. Oh, Lawrence Tenstam. Okay, yeah. 
I don't know why I was saying that was leave Ryan. That was okay. So I'm so sorry. so wrong. I'm sorry. Anyways, uh, he does ride with Nikki Terpster though. Um, yeah, he talked a lot about work ethic and some of the differences that he sees there. So that was really cool. And I think a lot of our conversation also re- revolved around uh, social media. So um, Iman Lucas is a huge presence on Instagram. He does a lot of stuff on YouTube as well too. And I think something that we're seeing in cycling is this huge shift towards the social side of it and social media because it's a sponsorship-based sport. A lot of big teams are going away. They're having trouble getting sponsors regardless of how good of results they're getting. So I think what we found is, or what we kind of touch on, is that you know, is cycling changing in the way that teams are sponsoring uh, riders through you know what they're doing on these different platforms and how that's becoming more and more valuable to different brands and maybe making this sport you know more sustainable so we get his perspective on that dive a little deeper and yeah talk about a couple of the random stuff too yeah uh so quick disclaimer before we play this uh we were under less than great circumstances circumstances for doing the um the interview we were at a hotel uh we didn't really have anywhere to go we couldn't go in the lobby because there was a bunch of people in there so we were kind of outside by a highway so we were outside we thought that the 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 noise of the road wouldn't reach us but it did so bear with us bear with us it's a really cool interview and uh it was really great to talk to iman the sound quality might be a little iffy but yeah, I think uh, I think there's a lot of stuff that can be gained and some really cool stuff that we talk about too. Yeah, so we hope you enjoy. Hope you enjoy. Do you guys have any good morning? Yeah, dude. Uh, we just got into St. Louis last night, so we're here for the, the Gateway Cup this weekend. So uh, we're nice. just hanging out outside of our hotel and uh, finally found like a decent spot to podcast. So I think we can uh, do it here. Yeah, what about you, man? Did you uh, just get in for a ride today? No, I just took action. Ah, nice. <laughs> so, I, so I wrote a bunch of training plans for like athletes, and I got my girlfriend, and it was really nice, and it poured rain all morning, so it was like a cozy, snuggly feeling. It was perfect. Oh, it's yeah. nice. You just sit inside, drink some coffee, and just like hang out, huh? Exactly. It's <laughs> chilling. It was, it was needed. Oh, those are the best days for sure. So you're in Italy right now, right? Yeah, I'm just uh, I'm north of Milan by about an hour. I'll okay. How's that been for you? What are you doing there? Oh, uh, well, this is my my girlfriend Paula. She's over there. Uh, so I'm just coming, coming and hanging out for the week because I have like no ready to have any races uh, last weekend or in the week. So I uh, I came for five days. All right. Very cool, man. Cool. Uh, well, if you don't mind, we can kind of jump into some of the podcast stuff we were planning to do. Start off yeah, with a couple. Worry, start. Let her awesome, dude. Well, yeah. Uh, so full disclosure, Ryan and I are pretty big fans. Uh, we're uh, we're kind of local Midwest guys, so we know you as uh, being on uh, some of the teams that have come through and done like the Tour of America's Dairyland and Telegentia Cup. So we kind of came up racing, watching you on the uh, the Estellas team, ripping it with those guys, and then uh, last year with the Kurt Life team. So it's been cool for us to kind of follow your your journey through the U.S. Uh, pro domestic scene, and then to now see you over in Europe has been a uh, a pretty wild ride at least from our perspective so um yeah to start off can you kind of give us like uh 
I don't know, your, your couple minute spiel, who are you, you know, uh, uh, what, what's, uh, what should we know about Iman Lucas? You guys killed the last year for sure. Yeah, so I mean that's kind of like my my, sh- my short spiel of where I started and where I'm at now. And uh, at the end of I think September of last year, I I got in contact with this continental Dutch team and Delta Pro Cycling or Delta Cycling Rotterdam, legitimately, and I uh, signed a contract with them and moved full time to Europe and now race the UCI Europe Tour and. Yeah, man, it's, it's definitely uh, a whole other level over here. Oh yeah, dude, I bet. Yeah, I bet it's uh, a little bit different than racing some, some 90 minute crits in the U.S., huh? So, do you ever miss uh, the crit racing? I know this is kind of your first your first full year away from it, and I know you're you're doing a lot of stuff with Specialized Rocket Espresso with the uh, the fixed gear scene. But uh, do you ever kind of miss some of the uh, the uh, like the domestic crits? For sure. Um, yeah, I've heard that the there is a, there is somewhat of a crit scene, um, kind of in a couple of the countries in Europe. Uh, a lot of people don't think of it because there's there's just such a, a historic presence with the road racing and stuff like that. But that's cool to hear that you know they do definitely have some crit racing over there. Um, no, they have like a t- it's crazy. It's like uh, every every day you can race a crit for oh, like really? two months. Holy wow. cow! That's that's awesome. It's almost like a, like a Dutch Super Week. <laughs> Super fun. <laughs> nice, dude. Um, you make so much money. The, 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 the crit racing here, I think you make like, I think you make like, I think you make like, Holy cow. So, is that from like, results, or is that like, free money is as well mixed in there? Oh, wow. That's and nuts. Them, like, every other lap, and then the results, and then like, the classmates, and yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. 
So what do you think there's anything that the US crit team could kinda of learn from some of these uh, these other countries like you're talking about that do the crit racing? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I know we we've kind of had like a little bit. Of, we've talked a lot about the U.S. racing scene and how they can uh, how they can make it better. Um, I know we one of the things that we've always touched on is like uh, I mean we're both amateurs. We both race, um, but you know we're nowhere near the level of like uh, you know like uh, you guys in the pro field. But we've always thought that, or at least what I've thought, Ryan, you probably agree too. Yeah, we talked to about this pretty extensively. Yeah, but I, I don't think the amateurs, like, I, I really don't think, I think it's kind of weird that they pay out to a lot of the amateur fields. I think it'd be better off kind of, like, pooling that money, putting it back into the pro fields. You'll get deeper pro fields, more people come out to, like, you know, specific races, and I think that the level of racing would go up for sure. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, like, uh, like, for instance, I mean, I, I don't even think they pro race at all because I'm not from Holland, so they don't charge any Oh wow! But that's if I was nice. a Dutch, but if I was a Dutch guy, I'd only have to pay seven euros, seven dollars and fifty cents to race, and then I get my number back, and I get my five euros back. And I really need three dollars to race. Holy cow! Yeah, that's that's crazy. I mean, for uh, for some of the bigger races around here, for anybody that's that's listening that kind of needs a point of reference, I know for for us, like we're going, so we're at a big race this weekend. The yeah, Gateway yeah. Cup. Um, that was fifty dollars for us just to race, mm-hmm. but if you're in like the pro field, I think it's it's like sixty five or seventy. Yeah, it's at least. Yeah, like, for instance, I remember running crit like last year. We went to the Tour of America. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy, especially like how expensive it is to to go to all these races and how little of a budget a lot of these a lot of these teams have like that that's pretty crazy that each team is paying like 600 700 dollars for each each racer yeah. yeah especially with how big the u.s is too i mean like having a national series here is it's pretty ridiculous to be having to fly basically across the size of europe essentially multiple times a year just for races yeah it's ridiculous. i mean it's definitely um smothering the sport it's not helping to grow like I understand the promoters also have to put food on the table, but they're also a city that I'll come to your race. Like, what if somebody's going to come to your race and take two weeks off of work, pay 650 bucks for this race, then have to eat, you know, 500 bucks, and then one ticket. Before you know it, they're not going to be able to take the time off work because they need to put food on the table for the table. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is it is just ridiculously, ridic- excuse me, ridiculously expensive in the U.S. to, to run a team, and I think we've seen that here too a lot with uh, kind of the, uh, the the shutting down of a couple of U.S. domestic programs, long-standing UHC, Jelly Belly. I know they, they have more like a road focus, but you know it all factors into just the general cost of racing on the domestic scene in the U.S. It, it's pretty burdensome, especially when there's you know just not much of a of a following ex- by the general public for cycling here. No, no, exactly. exactly. And, and, you know, yeah, those races are good races, but I wouldn't really play in, in, in Europe for a win in America. And, you know, you can say, oh, I won this race. I went down the road, but I also won. You know, the domestic Belgium is way more prestigious and it's way more harder and it's way cheaper and it's, you know, it's like, and you, you know, you're definitely starting to see guys just getting fed up with I don't want to go home for that reason. Like, why go home? Like, the race, the race that cost me 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we love obviously we love the domestic scene, and we just want to see it grow and like uh, and exactly. just get get better. You know, like make it make it more exactly. accessible. So, you've also been doing a lot of the fixed gear scene, which is in many ways a, a huge innovation on kind of the the current state of you could say crit racing, but almost bike racing in general too. So, being that this is uh, this is your second season doing the red. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, what are your thoughts on doing these races? I know you've been just like stomping it pretty much everywhere you're doing these races. Um, you know, getting yeah, some no, some really good results. Yeah, definitely, and it just seems like there's such a cool vibe going on with a lot of the uh, with the series that are popping up. I mean, every everybody that knows fixed gear racing knows Red Hook. Red Hook's been kind of the most long-standing series. It gets the most media attention. It's kind of got the probably the the most um, media coverage as well too. Um, but there's definitely some more series that are popping up too. I know, uh, like there's the Fixation Open that's getting bigger. They're starting to get more prize money for that series. At least um, at our on yeah. our like Wisconsin local races, every race has fixed gear races now. Yeah, that's a brand new thing for us, and that's that's just like yeah, it's in our backyard. I mean, these aren't these aren't super highly attended races, but the fact that they're offering fixed gear races is saying a lot about kind of where everything's headed. Oh, of course, and like you know, like you said, like there's so many. Um, series like there's three within Italy, like there's three within Italy. There's one in Holland. There's two in Germany. I think there's one in Spain. It's uh, there's one in France. It's, I mean, if, if you really wanted to, you could race like 60 days on a fixed gear bike. Wow, that's I mean, you're, yeah, you're you're it's insane. you're basically approaching the point where that you if you wanted to, you could pretty much be a you know crit fixed crit only racer if that's your if that's your thing. Exactly, and that's what we're talking about. So, like, have you ever tried to race in front of a red hook? It's terrifying. Yeah, so I, uh, a couple years back, I thought, you know, I got, I got really into it. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is pretty sick. Like, I, I really like the, you know, like the red hook stuff. And I actually bought my own fixed gear bike. Um, it was a, I built up like a pig frame, and I went out with our, our buddy. That's a, he's really into riding fixies, so he'll just like cruise around probably rode on it for like an hour and I'm like I am not ready to race this <laughs> like <laughs> elbow to elbow yeah. with like 
like you know 50 other people i'm like i'm gonna die i need way more time on this bike so it just it's really a unique side of the sport i i consider it its own discipline for sure i mean it's fixed here at crit racing but it's it's a completely different animal <laughs> Dang man, that's awesome. Yeah, so I mean, it's been a real privilege to be uh, involved in the fixed gear, the fixed gear world. And, you know, I hope to stay in it for a while. All right, so um, moving to like social media. So you've you've been very active in social media with Instagram and with your vlog on Twitter. How has social media changed o over your career, and how has it changed how like people see cycling? Alright, so, so it definitely gives it definitely gives a company a very unique opportunity to portray product uh in life Yeah, and I think too something that's really interesting is uh I, I myself I work in digital marketing and, and mobile advertising and you know with all these all these companies too, they're getting increasingly more like concerned with how they can track their dollars spent. And I know, like, we touched on UHC and Jelly Belly going away on the domestic scene this year, and I, I guarantee it was just somebody sitting in the back, you know, the back office that was just crunching the numbers and saying, you know, hey, we're not just, we're not really, we can't justify getting the ROI on, on all this, this ad spend that we're, we're utilizing. So I think that's what's awesome about social media and cycling is that it gives, you know, brands actual you know like like tangible goals and tangible you know they can look at your instagram and be like okay you reached this many people you got this much engagement like that's exactly what companies want to see and i think that's uh what cycling has left on the table for so many years is that uh it's a sponsorship driven sport even at even at like the um the team level you know these teams are are, are vying for tv time and I think, uh, I think what brands really want is something that kind of we found in your feed, which is just like a super authentic person that just loves the brand, loves the sport, and just can engage with their audience. So I know that's, that's really why we've can, can you continue to follow your, uh, your story, because it's just, you know, it's compelling, and that's what people want to see. Huh. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. 
that you feel is a, you know, a real sign of authenticity in my in my channel and my my persona. Oh yeah, absolutely. But, you know, at the end of the at the end of the day, that's all I'm just trying to be is myself. And it seems you know quite a few people like that. You know, they're having a shitty day or a good day. You guys still like me, so it's just, you know who I am and that's what you're gonna get. It's just me. All right, so. Uh, how did uh, your vlog be come to be? Is that like something that's tough to do when uh, you're out training all the time, or is that something you just really enjoy doing? Um, I definitely have like my 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 It's almost for a convenience too. Just drop the link and tell your family and friend, be like, hey, this is what's going on. Awesome. So, how is, uh, how have your teams, uh, so I guess, especially the team that you're currently on, how do they view social media from kind of a, a team to a rider standpoint? Like, do they actively promote that you, you know, are doing content? I know you have sponsors that you, uh, you're you're definitely shouting out, and they want you to represent well. But is that anything that's kind of like almost built into the contract? Do they have like you know certain stipulations about social media? No, not so much. I mean, it's pretty much like free free will on the whole you know promotion or uh, you know talking about product or putting it on your social media and doing what you want. But yeah, like I said, if I if I believe in a product and I like it. I'm going to talk about it, I'm going to tell people about it, so it's just pretty much myself well, being so stoked on my sponsors and being so, you know, thankful to be represented by Oakley and Special Flies and Sports and Spirulina, like, I'm just so cheap on their products, I just want to shout to the roof, you know? Yeah. Do you think that's going to change in the future? Do you think that um, it's going to, you know, there, there might be a time where you, uh, you're on a team, you sign your contract, and it's, hey man, we need you to put out X amount of uh, Instagram posts, we need you to do X amount of vlogs, uh, X amount of uh, sponsored content. Do you think that's uh, somewhere in the future? Definitely, it already is. And that's, uh, I mean, a lot of people know when it comes to tours, like, you know, you don't want to make it right, oh, I really like the car, something like that's taken. Yeah, yeah. That's taken, no one believes it. So that's kind of, you might be the one that's quite pushing, but it's just really making the sponsor look bad, the team look bad, and the athletes are stuck in the middle playing, like, I really don't want to say this, but fuck, I have to because my contract depends on it. Couldn't agree more. So, yeah, I mean, it definitely, it's definitely happening already. I know guys that don't like doing that, and, uh, yeah, it's pretty sad, actually. So are there people that that you look up to or people that have like inspired you? In social media side of things? Uh both. In in cycling in general and is there other people that the way they do social media you're like, I wanna do it like that? Yes. 
Yeah. Yeah, dude, don't ever change. It's uh, it's fun to follow. Appreciate it, bro. Yeah. Um. All right. Cool. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about social media. We can roll into some of the other questions uh, that we had lined up for you today. Um, yeah. So something particularly that was on my mind. I was a uh, I was working with your old boss uh, Andy Frey uh, at Intelligentsia a couple few weeks ago uh, from Estellas. He was telling me a story about how you guys were in China. And you had a, your your phone out the window, flying down a highway on a bus, and you yeah. you dropped your phone or something in the highway, and uh, yeah, the second stage of tour of Asia at two point one in China in November of twenty sixteen, and uh, you know always have my phone taking pictures. Right, right. So I'm in, I'm in the back of the bus, and the race provides you with a bus, you know, transfer the start of the race, and there's you know three kids to a bus. He saw a ghost, and I look back outside the window and think, "No way am I about to be in China with jet lag, no phone for a full two weeks. No way." So I stand up, I start screaming for the bus driver to pull over. He pulls over out of the bus, down the highway, in my flippers and my slippers and sweatshorts and t-shirt, run right past the Chinese fire or Chinese police that escort you to the race. Like a kilometer down the road from the bus, finally find my phone, and it's not cracked. It's still perfect. And uh, I came back on the bus, and everyone was like, "Dude, you're fucking crazy." <laughs> <laughs> that must have been an interesting sight for any of the uh, Chinese uh, government officials just watching you sprint down a highway, bus stopped in the middle of China. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so next question. So, uh, on, guys. give me one second. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Go yeah, go ahead. All right, so that was our conversation with Iman. We want to say thank you very much for coming on our podcast and putting up with us for 
however long we talk to cover some pretty cool topics. Yeah. Uh, so this weekend is the Trek World Cup in that's, Waterloo. That's right. Yep. 15 yep. minutes away from us. So uh, hopefully we can get a few interviews with the pros there. Yeah, we might do a podcast on the site. We haven't really decided anything yet, so we'll kind of figure it out. But for sure, we'll get some kind of content from uh, this World Cup event. Yeah, if anything, just uh, watch out our Instagram. We'll, we'll be sure to get a lot of content on there from there, that. Yeah, bike underscore racing underscore weekly. Find us on Instagram. We are on Stitcher and iTunes, uh, Bike Race Weekly. Bike Race Weekly. We're on Facebook, Bike Race Weekly. Yeah. Uh, if you want to subscribe to us, that would be great. Leave a review. Also, too, uh, be sure to check out our special guest social media uh, on Instagram, Iman underscore Lucas. Uh, Facebook, uh, I'm sorry, uh, YouTube, I believe it's Don't Iman forget Lucas. to look, uh, look out for his YouTube. I personally subscribe to it. I think they're great. Yeah, awesome videos. And he also has a... Uh, he has another uh, Instagram too, which I think is more oh, just that's like right. he just yeah. started a new one. Yeah, like uh, some really cool photography projects. I believe that's life at underscore two point eight. You so, can you can find it on his main Instagram. I know he has a post about yeah. about that one, so you can look on there to find that. Yeah. So for sure. uh, yeah, that's the podcast for today. That's the podcast. Thanks for following us, guys, and we'll see you next time.